0: Good morning church. How are you? Doing well? Glad to be in the house of the Lord and share in the fellowship of the Spirit. Have our hearts joined in praise and in prayer and in these moments uh, prepared to receive the Word of God as it comes to us today. We are sharing this series of sermons that we are calling Shema I didn't make that word up or come up with a clever title for the sermon it's actually a biblical word in Hebrew it means here and it's from Deuteronomy 6 and we are uh, spending some weeks this summer in this series Shema the Shema in Deuteronomy is a grounding for the life of the people of God it shapes their identity as they are moving, as God is leading, as God is drawing them up into uh, God's preferred and promised future, led by the God who goes before them. Shema shapes who they are. We are reading the Shema together, allowing it to form in us a sense that God is present and God is leading and drawing us uh, into God's future. Yes, we believe. I hope we have a sense that God is present in our midst, that he is present and active in our world, and that he has something in mind for us, the family of God, the people of God in Kerrville, uh, that God is drawing us up into a future and towards something, that we're not just here buying time, marking time. But we're here to take up the purposes, the mission of God in the world. And so we're reading the Shema as the kind of prayer, the kind of thing we, one might say, a people might say, as they're following God's leading into the world and into the future. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Upon your hearts. As it turns out, all this command business, this commandment business, has to do with what gets written on your hearts, on my heart, on our collective heart as the people of God. Did you know Deuteronomy 6 is where we uh, often recite the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, the verses just read uh, for us moments ago? But that's not the first place they appear. If you flip back a chapter in Deuteronomy in chapter 5, you'll find that it says, Moses convened all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel. Back in chapter 5, before we get to chapter 6, the verses that we've just read. Hear, O Israel. And then what follows in chapter 5 are what we often refer to as, anyone know? The Ten Commandments, right? And if you read carefully the Ten Commandments and the structure of the Ten Commandments, they begin with similar themes. You shall worship the Lord your God and the Lord your God only. In other words, the Lord your God, the Lord our God, is one and is singularly the focus of our affection and our attention. And the first four of the Ten Commandments have to do with how our life is centered in our relationship with God is preeminent. How do you live into that? The first four of the commandments have to do with us and God, and then the remaining commandments in chapter Deuteronomy 5 have to do with how we live in relationship with each other, right? How we live in... Because in the terms of the Ten Commandments and God calling God's people to attention, here, O Israel... It's about love for God, and it's about love for each other, and those two things are not two separate things. They are one thing. How we live in relationship to God, in relationship to each other. So, as we begin, share this moment together in worship, Shema, listen up, hear, hear. The love for God we are called to is about what gets written on our hearts, on our hearts. So let's stop for a moment. These commandments, the commandment to love God is about what's written on our hearts. So um, I want us to pause and pray for God's presence and God's blessing in these moments. Would you bow with me? God, we take these few moments to be still before you, to take a few deep breaths so that your life might be fully among us and within us, that your spirit might rest upon us in this place and in this moment. We want you to do work today on our hearts. We confess to you that Oftentimes, beneath the surface of our lives, our hearts are troubled, disturbed, anxious, uncertain, heavy, broken even. So we pray that you would do some work on our hearts today and that you would open us to receive the work that you might do for us by um, your spirit and by your word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, give attention to these words. These are words from Luke chapter 10. You'll see them on the screen. And um, I'm going to read them off the screen with you. So Luke 10 says this, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place that he intended to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go! I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road when you enter a house first say peace to this house and then get this if someone who promotes peace is there your peace will rest on them if not It will return to you. Next slide. Stay there, eating and drinking, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God has come near. He sent them, Luke 10 says, two by two to every town and place he intended to go. And so on September the 2nd, 2006, my friend Roger and I rolled in to Juarez together. Two by two. Here's how we got there. I had been invited to a church in Las Cruces, New Mexico, to preach a weekend seminar on Revelation, of all things. On Revelation. And the hook for me was the opportunity to take some time in between the workshop sessions to cross the border into Juarez. I was interested in what was taking place in border cities, and particularly around the phenomenon of uh, the factories, the maquiladoras in border cities like Juarez. And so I had mentioned this to Roger a time or two, how fascinated I was by the dynamics that had caused the explosion of the population in these border cities nestled right up against the U.S. border. As it turns out, free trade agreements created opportunity for companies to locate manufacturing just across the border. And then the population in Mexico from the interior, central and southern Mexico, migrated north. Why? Because that's where the work was. That's where the factories were. And so I was interested in this phenomenon and the Maquiladoras, and I was intrigued. So I was going to take this opportunity while I was in Las Cruces to go over and see if I couldn't see some of this. So on a Wednesday night preceding that, after I finished teaching class, Roger walked up the aisle toward me to so that we could chat. I stepped out like somewhere right in here, and I said to him with a sly grin on my face, hey, I'm going to Juarez to see the maquilas. Want to go? I thought I was teasing him because I knew he would want to and probably wouldn't go. And he said, sure. (laughs) So we went. Two by two. In September of 2006, we rolled into the city. We drove around and looked at the maquilas. They were fenced. Uh, Might not be surprising, high fences with razor wire, and we drove around, and I took all this in, and, and then the people who had, from the church there, who had uh, escorted us over, who had taken us over, said, we want to take you to meet a family that we're connected to, and so we, we drove out to the outskirts on the western side of the city, to that part of the city, we turned off the um, two-lane uh, freeway, the divided two-lane freeway, highway, onto a little dirt road between some buildings and out into a field. There were little houses scattered about. Uh, um, They had been cobbled together. They're not houses like you would think of houses. These aren't Kerrville houses. Uh, They were houses constructed of whatever materials that people could cobble together. Sometimes cinder blocks, other times um, shipping pallets, tin, these little makeshift houses. There was no running water or electricity uh, in this little area. Uh, You would call it uh, like the barrio. Uh, They had pirated electricity off the, the main electrical, big electrical wires overhead, and I was fascinated. I'd never seen this before. They had taken wire and they had thrown it up over that so it made contact and then it was down on the ground and it snaked across the road right there in the middle of everything so that they'd have a little bit of electricity and there was no running water and so they built like water troughs and water trucks would come through occasionally and empty water into the water troughs. This is where we were in Juarez. The barrio, home for the poor among The poor. And I learned that there was a lot of sickness and disease there because it was carried in the water and because of a lot of the industrial pollution. There was a lot of sickness and disease. I remember going across to one of those little houses where there was a woman there who suffered terribly um, tumors and cancer and. And the violence, you remember, some of you may remember reading about the violence um, in cities like Juarez and in Juarez in particular. The violence was already rearing its ugly head. So we pulled up in front of one of those houses and this little couple came out to meet us. His name was Enrique and her name was Anai. And they had a little family and they lived in this little house. And they embraced us and greeted us, and then they invited us in, and they had prepared this feast. Now, you know what that's like, right? Um, I like Tex Mex just fine. But if you can have the real thing, (laughs) the Mex Mex, not the Tex Mex, but the Mex Mex. Uh, And it was like uh, they had prepared this feast. It was phenomenal, the food. And they had drinks. and And I thought to myself, I looked around at my surroundings and thought, how did they do this? They barely had enough to scratch out an inkling of a living. And yet here they were inviting us to their table and... And they had four beautiful children, an infant, and then three, three daughters and an infant son. And they were kind of shy at first. And they, they were looking out from around the side of the house at us, uncertain what to make of us. But as the day wore on, and after we shared the meal and we spent time together, by the end of the day, they were in our laps and their arms were around our necks. And we were carrying them on our shoulders as we walked around the barrio together. The food, the embrace, I'm telling you, I don't know if you've ever had a moment like this, but it was a transcendent moment. You you all have experienced, um, you know... Moments when you say, this is not, this is something other than what I usually, there's something going on. I can't put my finger on it. I don't know exactly what it is or how to describe it even to you now. But you know in that moment that the veil between heaven and earth has gotten thin and God has come near. A moment like that. A transcendent moment. And so at the end of the evening, Roger and I made our way back across the border where we were staying And we were sitting there together, overwhelmed and wondering. Trying to make sense of a moment like that, what had happened. And we remembered these words from Luke 10 that were on the screen a moment ago. Stay there, eating and drinking what is set before you. Do not move about from house to house. Be present. Listen, learn, love, and be loved This is the calling. And so we did, feeling compelled, drawn back. Some invisible, compelling force drawing us back into their presence to share life. And that's what we did. We returned the first week in November 2006 for no other reason. We didn't come back to do anything There was no, hey, can you come back? And nothing like that. It was just simply to be together, to know uh, the company of one another again. And across all that, across cultures and language and economic status that might keep us distance, to know that something transcendent had closed the distance. And then we came back in December for Christmas. I went back telling Gaina... my my wife these stories and our girls were rather young and Henry was just a baby at the time and I said let's go back and this is what we'll do for Christmas we'll just be together with their, their children our children and so we did Roger and I Roger's wife Phyllis and us we spent Christmas together celebrating the love come down in Jesus, that somehow we had a sense that we were getting a different glimpse of in these new friends. And then later that spring, I gathered up some students from ACU and a few from the little church in Buffalo Gap, and we went back in March, and, and it was just to share life. I'm telling you, it wasn't so much about doing anything for them as much as it was soaking up every bit of the love of God they were teaching us. I'll say that again. It wasn't so much, as I reflect upon it, about doing something, but about soaking up every bit of the love of God they were teaching us. Us. And it so profoundly captured my heart that when I delivered, I was, I was to, to deliver a keynote address at the ACU lectures that fall. It so captured my imagination that when I took up the text that I had been assigned to speak on, happened to be the story of Lazarus being raised from the grave, I couldn't help but tell it by telling of my experience this transcendent moment. Look, this Shema, this call to love God with our everything, heart, soul, strength, gets written in our hearts, written on our hearts in many ways. And perhaps the greatest of these ways is the experience of it. At least that was the case for me. To be drawn back by the love of God and to experience and to know in ways that are mysterious and transcendent beyond our ability to describe or name them, to know it, written on our hearts in that way. I heard a wise man once say, no one learns anything from experience which seems counterintuitive because I'd always heard people say, you know, the best teacher? Experience. He said, no one really learns anything from experience. Only experience that you reflect on. Then you learn something from experience. So I wonder if that's not the way it works. Stay with me for a moment here. We don't think our way into knowing the love of God. We don't think our way into knowing the love of God. We know the love of God because we experience it. And our experience of it becomes the occasion to then reflect upon it, to name it, to want to understand it. What is that? I want to know. I want to search scriptures to know that. I would suggest to you that it's not the other way around. Searching scriptures to try and understand the fine points of the love of God so that you can know it better and experience it. It doesn't work that way. We experience life and love, so we come back to understand it. Scripture illuminates it for us. We experience something of the love of God. We reflect upon it. We bring our experience of the love of God back to Scripture. And then our reflection, our thinking on the love of God, opens us to experience the love of God again in deeper ways. In more fuller ways. Which then, when we reflect upon that, opens us to receive it more fully. You see the circle here, don't you? Experience of the love of God. And you know it too. Some of you have said this. uh, There have been a few of you who shared with me about the experience of when um, you receive the gift of a child brought into the world. I've reflected on that before. It's a transcendent moment. It was for me. I suspect it is for most of us. I remember when my first daughter was born and and really any of my children having this sense, you kind of go into it thinking you know what's going, you know, think, what's up? And then you experience and you go, I don't don't know what to do with this. It's overwhelming. I remember sitting in a room alone because back then, you know, they they rolled us into, my, my wife and I went into a delivery room not a labor room. That was a different room. And our daughter was born, and then I went back to gather our things out of the labor room, and no one was in there, and it was dark, and there was a window, and I sat down, and I, just overwhelmed. I remember seeing the light coming through the window and thinking to myself, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. I don't, there's nothing about this I deserve. It's pure gift. That's a transcendent moment, an experience of the love of God in our finite capacity and experience that then we reflect upon that draws us deeper into the love of God. It is the love of God being written on our hearts. On our hearts. And I wonder if it wasn't that way for those who received these words. First, Deuteronomy 5 and Deuteronomy 6, the people of God, hear, O Israel, as Israel received the Shema who in countless ways had experienced the love of God before they received this command to love God. Who experienced it in the journey, who experienced the love of God in their weakness and in their deepest need, like in the wilderness where there was no water. God, you've led us out here. Moses led us out here. There's no water We're going to die, and then there's water from the rock, and the love of God spills forth, pours forth out of the rock. Or there's no food. They complain, and then there's bread from heaven. It's as if the love of God rains down, and they receive the gift of that love. Or like when Elijah sat by the brook during the famine, and God said, sit right here, my child. I'll sustain you. And God sent ravens to bring bread to Elijah by the brook. And when the brook dried up, God sent Elijah into town to a, a little old widow woman from in Zarephath. And Elijah asked her, would you make for me a little a little meal, and she said, you've got to be crazy. There's, there's no food. There's so much scarcity. I only have a little bit left, and I'll use it up, a little flour and a little oil, and then my, my son and I will die. And she meant it. And he said, no, 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 no. Use it. And it'll never be empty. And sure enough, it was the case. The love of God spills out, overflows. I wonder if they didn't experience the love of God, turn to each other and reflect upon this to tell the story over and over again, which then opened them to receive the love of God again and again. The love of God written upon their hearts. Written upon our hearts. Through Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, God would say... I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And in the words that preceded, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. Something about that phrase heart of stone turned to heart of flesh that resonates with me. Maybe it resonates with you too. Those of us who've lived long enough to know how easy it is for our hearts to turn to stone, to turn hard What I want you to know is that the love of God written on our heart is the work of the Spirit that blows wherever it will, that breathes life into flesh. And I've taken a little bit of time this morning to share a little bit of my story. I messaged last night and again this morning with my friends, the Koreas. I said, I'm preaching tomorrow. They know I preach from time to time. I'm preaching tomorrow. I'm going to tell our story because I'm going to talk about how the love of God gets written on our hearts. That story is my story. It may not be exactly what your story is, but I want you to imagine your story differently today. How the Spirit of God might descend and turn hearts that are often calloused and hard into hearts that are soft soft on which the love of God can be written. Some of us today have felt our hearts grow cold. Not not so much all at once. It's not like uh, Insta freeze. As much as it is a gradual sort of hardening of our hearts over time. Life is rough. It beats us up a little bit. This world's crazy people do crazy things people think crazy things people say crazy things and over time you know what that does to my heart it makes it get a little bit more calloused and a little more calloused and a little more calloused until protecting myself against all of that i've made it difficult for god to write his love upon my heart anyone else So we pray that the Spirit of God come and turn a heart of stone to flesh again, that God write God's love upon our hearts. Some of us have been so wounded by those that we thought we could trust, or frankly, those that we should have been able to trust. But they wounded us. And nothing turns your heart Hard, like someone you love and think you should trust, who wounds you. And that kind of pain runs so deep that it is our natural instinct to protect ourselves from ever experiencing that again. And so, you know what happens? Our hearts get hard and calloused. So if that's you, and I suspect it is for some of you, the experience of being wounded by someone that you love or trust or thought you could love and trust, we pray that the Spirit of God come and turn a heart that's hard into a heart that's soft so that the love of God might be written there. some of us maybe have been so wounded by religion that even though you're here, there's some barrier between what I'm saying and what you're thinking or feeling. Maybe you're here because somebody told you you had to be, or if they didn't tell you, you live with that voice in your head and so you can Maybe some of you are at a place in relationship to what you think this is all about, what faith and God and religion is about that you're skeptical. I know that's true. We feel like we can't we feel like we can't admit it here in church but I know it's true. I know that religion and church in the experience of many is uneven. And for some, the perception is that the church itself has been the source of harm. And your heart gets hard to the love of God. I know especially for younger generations, there's this sense that I don't know if I buy all this. It was fine for my mom and dad. It was fine for my grandparents. Maybe fine for other generations, but I'm not so sure. And look, I just want to open up enough space here where we can be truthful about that Because if you can't ever say it or talk about it, there's no room for the Spirit of God to be at work on us, even our doubts. The honest truth is religion has done much, much good in the world, and it has done much, much harm. And for many, when the harm gets close to them, it turns your heart hard. You get that, right? It makes it calloused. And so look, all I'm saying is we're creating a little room not to say that that's not true, but to say we're going to hold that and pray that the Spirit of God come and soften our hearts a bit so that the love of God can be written there. Maybe another way of saying all that is to say that we have so loved our minds um, and our ability to think our way through that when you come up against things that don't make logical sense, right? That you cannot explain, but you've tied your ability to think it out as the solution when that collision happens, you know what happens to our hearts? They get calloused. And when we've been sort of bred to believe that your worth and your value to other people and even to God is based upon what you can do and accomplish, only to find out that you can't do enough when that collision happens, you know what happens to our hearts? Our hearts tor- turn hard and calloused. You know, we used to call people like this sourpusses. The old sourpuss. You ever known anybody like that? You can, you can recognize them when you see them. It's all on their face. You can hear it in their voice. And sometimes if you can't see it on the face or hear it in their voice... Still, you can sense it inside them. You know what that is? It's a heart thing. It's a heart that's grown calloused and hard. And when that happens, it's awfully hard for the love of God to get written on our hearts. And so, look, we're just creating some space here to pray that the Spirit of God come down and soften our hearts. Give us a new heart. In just a moment, um, Raymond's going to come and lead us in a song. I don't know what it is. Somebody tell me what it is just so I can talk about it. Okay, why did my Savior come to earth? And um, we're we're going to focus our attention through that hymn on the love of God manifest in Jesus. Jesus who you understand that in the act of his own crucifixion was making his own heart soft and vulnerable so that the love of God might be written on our hearts. And and as we sing that song, we're going to pray as we sing that the Spirit of God would come and soften our hearts. And I just want to create a moment um, this morning for those of you who maybe in the last five minutes or so, I don't know how long I've been uh, trying to describe what sometimes happens to our hearts, who feel like, yeah, that's right. That's exactly where my heart is. I want you to know that that recognition and a moment to, to own that and turn ourselves toward God is a gift. And so we're gonna stand in just a moment and I'm gonna stay up here at the front for a few moments. Art's up here. Well, he's with the praise team. He'll be close and there are other elders here. And if there's any one of you who, who wants to come here or to the back and just kind of look for someone, I'll, I'll see you just to pray with that God would do some work on our hearts? That there's some room for that? That if there are those here who think, I need a new start, and I so want to embrace the work of God to write His love on my heart, that I want to surrender my life to Jesus and His Lordship, and I want to confess that and I want to be washed in the waters of baptism because I want to create some space for God to do that work on my heart. I want you to come. I don't want you to be afraid or hesitant. You are loved. You are loved by God, and you're loved by the people of God. I want you to come for that. And then as that time comes to a close, we'll gather at the table together, and we'll take these things that draw our attention back to the love of God manifest in the death of Jesus, in his life, in new life, and resurrection, all the while praying that the Spirit of God will rest upon our hearts and make hearts that grow hard and cold, warm and soft so that God might write love upon our hearts. Let's stand together and sing.